Today we will continue as we take a page out of Emotionally Focused to look at a concept called differentiation and how it's modeled in the New Testament to get some ideas on how we can apply it to our own anxious lives. So as I was thinking about the focus for this sermon, I reached out to some friends, Alpha alum, and family to get some input from others on what causes them anxiety. In reviewing their feedback, it seemed that anxiety often fell into one of a few different categories. Here are the major categories and some of that feedback. Nice. So needing control is the first category that a lot of the feedback fell into. The feedback was loss of control of a situation, needing others to see things my way. That might have been mine. Being anxious in new situations or with new people. Fear of the unknown. Then there was a category of self-doubt. Fear that I might upset someone. Feeling that I'm not enough, not smart enough, not attractive enough, not popular enough. The statement, I'm just a failure. Feeling that I need to prove my worth or value. Or simply, I just feel like I don't belong. And then finally, some of the feedback fell into a category that I just called confrontation. Those situations with family or at work, even at church. Discussions around passionate topics. And, and I don't know why this popped in my head, but it's the famous stay away from faith and politics at holidays. So <clears throat> who are we when anxiety surrounds us? That's really going to be what we look at today. Thinking of, think about where you seem the most anxious and what you think might cause that. Do any of those examples resonate with you? Are there others that you can think of? Keep those anxious situations in the back of your mind as we discuss this more over the next several minutes. Look for ways as we get a, dip, a bit deeper in the talk that you might be able to apply the concepts of being highly differentiated and how it was shown throughout the Bible. Let's pray. Father, we are often overcome with anxiety from so many different sources. We pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit this morning and bring an overwhelming sense of peace as we spend this time with you, simply resting at your feet and soaking in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is differentiation of self all about? It's kind of a big word. Um, I'm going to reference content from and look at differentiation of self from an emotionally focused perspective. So from emotionally focused, differentiation of self is defined as an individual who is able to be clearly defined in their beliefs, values, and convictions and live into those beliefs, values, and convictions with a high level of integrity, even in moments of high anxiety. They do this while also exhibiting a capacity to stay deeply connected with those holding differing beliefs. So let me simplify that. Simply put, differentiation is the ability to remain true to our own beliefs while staying curious and connected to others that have differing views. Did you catch that last part? Differentiation isn't about alienating those that don't agree with us. It's about holding our own beliefs in healthy tension while staying curious and connected to those around us. Pat spoke last week about our true self, who we are at our very core, and staying true to those non-negotiables that make us who we are at our very core. We're going to hear that as a bit of a theme throughout this talk, 
staying grounded in our true self. When we, can, when we can remain true to our core beliefs, we are much more likely to stay calm as tensions within a group rise. We can focus on the difference between facts, feelings, and emotion. This certainly doesn't keep us from being anxious or even keep us from being inside those anxious moments, but it allows us to react less from a place of anxiety-driven emotions. So why is any of this even important? We certainly aren't unique when it comes to anxiety. The Bible is full of stories and examples of anxiety and what happens when it's, ha when it's handled in an unhealthy way and many examples of what it looks like when it's handled well. We can't even get past page three in the Bible without seeing what I can only believe was severe anxiety from Adam and Eve. Can you imagine what it had to be like doing the one thing God commanded you not to do? Eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and then try to hide from him as he came looking for you. Put yourself in that moment. Close your eyes for a second and put yourself in that moment just as an observer in the garden with Adam and Eve as God comes to visit. Imagine you're watching that interaction between God and Adam and Eve. Stay there for a moment as you play out this interaction in your head. I'm guessing it was pretty intense. So you see, we, we don't have a monopoly on being anxious and reacting poorly from a place of self-doubt in those situations. We aren't faced with greater trials or situations, although it sure can feel that way at times. We also have some great examples in the Bible of what this looks like when it's done well. Our Savior Jesus is the perfect example of this, so much so that he died on the cross staying true to his own beliefs, values, and convictions. So let's take a look at a couple examples from the New Testament and see some of this in action. Just like we didn't need to go very far in the Old Testament to see a lack of differentiation during an anxious situation, we don't have to go very far in the New Testament to see beautiful examples of high levels of dif differentiation. Jeez, I, even I am stumbling over that this morning. As we go through these examples in the New Testament, watch for anxiety, where it might be coming from, and where differentiation plays. Remember, differentiation is simply staying grounded in our own true selves while remaining connected to others, even when they don't agree with us. Let's start with Luke's account of Mary finding out she would become pregnant and give birth to Jesus. Many historians speculate that Mary was 15 or 16 years old at the time of Jesus' birth. The beginning of Luke's gospel gives us some insight to Mary's maturity, faith, and character, her true self. So we're going to take a look at Luke 1, 28 through 35, and 38, assuming I can find it. <clears throat> the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked. 
asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Then a little bit further down in 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So during this time, during this time, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. They would have been committed to each other in a premarital contract, not yet married, at least not the way we think of marriage, but in this contract. In the Middle Eastern culture, honor and shame were extremely important. And we can see how Mary responds is not only is she not filled with shame, but a little later in the story, she actually praises the Lord with a song of praise in Luke 1, 46 through 55. I highly suggest you maybe, um, maybe read that later today. So much so that in Luke 1, 48, she says, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Let that sink in for a minute. Does this sound like the response of an unwed, anxiety-filled teenage girl that recently found out she's going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit and give birth to the Son of the Most High? Does this mean that it was all easy for Mary? That it was, that it was stress and anxiety free? I highly doubt that. So what was it that we see her doing to navigate that anxiety-filled time? How was Mary showing a high level of differentiation being grounded in her true self? Who are we when anxiety surrounds us? So the point of the story in the Bible wasn't necessarily how Mary handled an anxious time in her life. That's probably not what the original intent of the author was. Um, so we have to piece together some of what we do see here. However, these verses indicate Mary had a solid understanding of who she was, her beliefs, values, and convictions. She knew her true self, who she was at her very core, and she was able to stay grounded in that. So let's, let's think about what we just read. The first response we see from Mary after the angel's greeting in verse 29 is she was greatly troubled. This sounds right away like anxiety is building within Mary. Even in that state of anxiety, though, we see Mary staying connected to the angel as she asks in verse 34, how will this be? After finding out that she's going to give birth to Jesus. She is staying engaged with the angel, gathering facts to better understand what she is being told instead of responding out of anxiety-fueled fear. Then a bit later in verse 38, we see Mary respond, I am the Lord's servant. We are seeing a part of her true self, grounded in who she is to God. It allowed her to stay connected and not, only, and not listen to all the anxious lies that had to be going through her head at that time. God can certainly work with and through any of us, but I don't think Mary was a random choice by God as a partner in his plan. I think her character and confidence in who she was made her a great partner for this calling from God. Let's take a look at one more example from the Bible. The New Testament is full of examples of Jesus showing a high level of differentiation, confident in who he was and why he was here, but at the same time staying connected to those around him, even those that he didn't agree with, and didn't agree with him. Again, thinking about Jesus' life, we can see how he had a clear sense of his own identity in his relationship with God. 
One of the first things we see after Jesus' baptism is he, he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil for 40 days. So let's take a look at Matthew's account of this in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. If I can get there. Yes. Okay. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Again, If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put your Lord God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. There is so much we could talk about in those verses, but the last sentence really caught my attention for today's topic. The devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. We get a few accounts of the temptation from the devil in these passages, but the feeling I get reading that last sentence was this was a full-on 40-day battle face-to-face with evil. So what do you think? Was there some anxiety involved in that? I don't know. But Jesus being fully God and fully man leads me to believe that he went through a host of emotions as he was being tested for those 40 days. What we do see in this account by Matthew tells us a lot about the character of Jesus. But what is it that allowed Jesus to remain a non-anxious presence during those 40 days? We don't see Jesus arguing, defending his position, or really even trying to persuade the devil. He isn't buying the narrative from the devil that he isn't enough or he needs to prove himself. What we do see is Jesus confident in his beliefs and faith in the Father. Jesus' response to the devil in factual statements given, from, given to us from the Old Testament from God about who we are and who we are to be as God's children. Jesus was so confident in who he was, again, his true self, that he didn't need to win an argument or prove anything to the devil. He just spoke his truth, grounded in Scripture in his relationship with the Father. So I ask again, Who are we when anxiety surrounds us? We've taken a look at a couple of examples of highly differentiated people from the New Testament, both Mary and Jesus. I think we can safely assume that they face many challenges and anxious moments, but we are also able to see a high level of self-differentiation. They knew who they were, their true self, and and allowed that truth to keep them grounded during their anxious interactions. Now let's take a quick look at a more recent example of this. For those those that know me well, you may know that that in many situations, I'm a very anxious person. Blatant plug alert here. 
Prior to any self-reflection and study through emotionally focused, my normal behavior in high anxiety situations, mostly at work or around family, was to control and win. The lies that I had been telling myself for years was that I wasn't smart enough and I needed to perform at a high level and prove my worth to compensate. As a result, I needed my thoughts and ideas to be heard, and I wasn't really all that interested in the thoughts or opinions of others because I already knew what needed to, ha be, what needed to happen and how, and any other opinions I got meant I must be wrong. I hate to say it, but I was nothing shy of a bully in some situations. Can you imagine the problems that may have caused? First off, this is going to be hard to believe, but what if I didn't always have the best idea or answer? I know. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know if that ever happens. <clears throat> maybe my idea was great, but there was another way, or maybe a compromise that was better. Secondly, and likely more damaging, I created an environment with those close to me where they stopped sharing their ideas or even trying to have their voice heard. I was shutting down some very talented people as a result of the anxiety-driven lies that I was telling myself. I was impacting relationships that mattered to me in a very negative way. This isn't who I was. It certainly wasn't who I wanted to be. I know many of you are shocked at that insight don't worry, like a good Hallmark Christmas movie, it gets better. Self-awareness and grounding myself in who I am at my core, my true self, enables me to stay much more connected in anxious situations. I'm able to much more calmly state what is true for me while also staying connected and present as others share differing thoughts and opinions. One of the first places I was able to put these new skills from emotionally fake emotionally focused into practice was at a meeting I was going to attend that, let's just say, I wasn't looking forward. I wasn't looking forward to. So let me describe what that looked like for me. First, the anxiety leading up to, and even during the meeting, wasn't significantly different than what it would have normally been. In the days leading up to the meeting, I had been telling myself how painful it was going to be, how no one else was going to have the same priorities that I would, and they just simply wouldn't understand. Sound familiar to the lies I had been telling myself for years? However, I offset those thoughts with how God saw me and what God wanted from me. He didn't want perfection from me at the cost of not building meaningful relationships. He didn't want me going through life full of anxiety as I allowed those false narratives to play, in, play out in my head. What he did want was for me to show up actively participate in the group, which meant dialogue, even the part where I'm supposed to really listen and know it wasn't about winning or losing. He also reaffirmed that it wasn't all up to me. I didn't need to have all the answers. I'm not perfect at this. No one is. As I was doing the work and emotionally focused, a few key things helped me identify my true self, my non-negotiables in how I want to show up and allowed and allow me to stay grounded in my truths during anxious interactions. Let me share just a few of the highlights with you, because this is like two pages worth of stuff. <clears throat> so, you're welcome. 
So first and foremost, I'm a beloved child of God. I need to feel and believe this every day. I need to invest in this relationship. I need to live like I belong to God. Second, and this was big for me to actually put this in writing, relationships and how I'm experienced by others matters. So for me, that meant managing stressful situations with facts, not feelings. Leveraging spiritual practices to help me manage anxious times and situations. And embrace those around me and create meaningful connections and relationships. Assume I don't have to, nor do I, nor do I need to have all the answers and be open to those with differing ideas and opinions. And finally, I'm called to share God through my personal testimony. I am part of God's plan. Can you see how staying grounded in truths like this, who you really are, your true self, might help navigate anxious moments and situations? We started with some, anxiety, uh, some examples of anxiety in our lives. And I want to close by looking at them and the lies we often tell ourselves and contrast that with what God has to say. There we go. Beautiful. Uh, there should be one before that, hopefully. There we go. So this is my attempt at a cute little sticky note and the things that we tell ourselves about ourselves. So the first one there is, I need to be in control. And then let's look at what God might have to say about that. In Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. The next one is, I'm not fill in the blank enough. Erica started us this morning with this one, and, and I love this verse. This is the second of three times you're going to hear this. Isaiah 43, 1, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. You are enough. The next one, I have nothing to offer others. 1 Peter 4, 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And the final two. I need to win every confrontation. Yep, I wrote that one. Um, Proverbs 15, 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath but harsh words stir up anger. And finally, I feel like an outcast. Joshua 1, 5 through 6, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. I would like to encourage you to do something similar this week. List the anxiety-filled, list the anxiety-triggered lies you tell yourself. Then next to them, list what you believe God has to say about those lies and you through Scripture. I'd love to see more of these posted in the Facebook campus for those comfortable with doing that so that we can all share and focus on what God has to say about us, not the lies that we tell ourselves.
So as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper, let us keep in mind the truths God has.